Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Flushing is Burning. I'm Grace, and as always, I'm here with Christian. Christian, how you doing? Why is Tommy Pham still on this team? <laughs> because we're still about four weeks out from the trade deadline. Do, do we have to wait that long? I mean, we got Escobar out of there, didn't we? We got Escobar out of there, so that way Buck would stop playing Escobar. Pham, they might want to hold on to to see if anyone gives up anything good right at the end. Well, the the fear is that Pham will return to being Tommy Pham in the next three weeks, right? <laughs> Yeah, I feel like if he can hold on for another week or two, week or two, that's going to be the sweet spot. I think we've come to the point where we know for sure that without Shohei Otani in the mix, there is no player or group of players that the Mets could possibly trade for that can close the gap on their nine-game deficit. Therefore, they are sellers, right? And the first name that comes to mind is Tommy Pham because he's the only Met that did anything in June, pretty much. (laughs) And he has a very attractive contract for a team to take up. Low ceiling, but also very low risk proposition. He can play some left field. He can be your right-handed DH. He seems like a very attractive piece for someone like, let's say, the Dodgers to pick up. Yeah, I mean, it's... I feel like this is a very different conversation than we were having last week. There, this is it. Like, it's, June was, June really kind of just closed the door there. There's, I don't think that they're coming back from this. Even I don't think they have a 2019 run in them. I think this is just, they're going to sell. It's probably Fam Robertson, Canna, as much as that pains me to say, are probably their three biggest pieces that they could probably get rid of. It, it's, this is bad. This is, I mean, they won yesterday, but this is bad. Yeah. Um, it, it's not just that the Mets were bad in June. It's that the Braves and the Phillies and the Marlins were all really, really good. And we knew that about the Braves already, but they went on another historic June, even by their standards. And the Marlins and Phillies showed that they're the actual wildcard teams in the hunt. And it's not just that the Mets have eight or nine games to make up in the wild card standings as of this point, they have to jump like six or seven teams just to get to that point. And that makes the gap exponentially harder. If if it was the Mets are nine games back 
of the division and they only have to focus on the Atlanta Braves right now, then yeah, half a season can can bring some hope to that possibility. Uh, but yeah, um, sorry, <laughs> Tommy Pham gone, Robertson gone, Canna gone, as you say, and anything that isn't on a multi-year deal right now, anyone that isn't on a multi-year deal right now, better better start buying suitcases. Yeah, it's... It's upsetting because, like I said, I I love Marcana. I love you know the, so many of these players. I love, but also from a non selfish point of view, I think it would be great for the players that I love to actually have a chance at winning something this year. So if we're gonna say goodbye to David Robertson and Marcana, and even maybe some of the guys who are on multi year deals, although I think that's gonna be a harder swing just with contracts and no trade clauses and everything like that it's it's gonna be we're gonna it, there's gonna be a little bit of sadness but come the end of the month um I feel like there's some names that people are throwing out that I don't think are gonna get tra- like I don't see Scherzer or Verlander maybe Scherzer I don't see Verlander getting traded yeah um I'm of a couple minds about that I I think it would make sense for the Mets to trade one of Scherzer or Verlander if a trade partner comes out of the woodwork, uh, that trade partner is going to demand that the Mets pay most of that contract. And I think that's what makes that the poison pill that doesn't allow that to happen. And I definitely don't think both happen if that's the requirement for both to get traded. Um, But it wouldn't surprise me if Scherzer waves his no trade clause to run it back with the Dodgers again, or maybe with the Angels. I know the Texas Rangers are down in ace and would probably like an experienced postseason arm for their October run. Um, and so there are trade partners. It's it's just going to depend on Steve Cohen's willingness to pay the majority of the contract because I, uh, I highly doubt there's going to be a team out there that's going to be willing to pay for two years of a really expensive aging pitcher, seeing how well it's gone for the Mets so far. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Scherzer's been a little up. He's been better recently, but he's been a little up and down this year. He's going to opt in next year. So my guess is whatever team wants to trade for him, it's not just going to be you have to pay down this year. They're going to expect some pay downing of next year because that's a lot of money to throw at a guy who may or may not be good next year because this year's been a little weird. Um, it's I definitely could see Scherzer. The, the Rangers is an interesting one because I think out of all of the teams you listed, with Jacob deGrom's Tommy John surgery, um, he's probably going to be gone for a lot, if not most, of next year. Uh, they could be someone who would want maybe a Max Scherzer in there for multiple years, while other teams might balk at that. The other issue is, you know, just finding who, like, the Mets are going to want, especially if they're paying down, they're going to want more for Scherzer than maybe teams are willing to give up because he hasn't been the Cy Young caliber pitcher he's shown himself to be in the past. Yeah, uh, that that's what makes it a difficult a difficult proposition because now that Shohei Otani is off the market, Max Scherzer potentially becomes the most attractive arm on the market. Maybe if the Cubs are willing to part with Marcus Stroman, but again, Stroman's also on a multi-year deal, so that that makes that a difficult trade to make. I I, I don't know. <clears throat> I, I think that the urgency with which the angels have in their Otani window, I actually think makes them a more realistic destination for Scherzer than, than the Rangers, just because the angels are going to have to throw stupid money at someone to be competitive in a very competitive American league right now. And they have the talent to do that. They just probably need another starting pitcher and maybe Scherzer is that guy. I don't know. Um, And much like you, I also want to see players who have given their all have an opportunity to win. Uh, Tommy Pham is a deeply weird dude, but he sincerely (laughs) deserves to win. He deserves to be the starting left fielder for the Cincinnati Reds, the Dodgers, whoever is out there making an October run. David Robertson has done everything asked of him. He deserves to go to a winning team. I can say the same thing for Scherzer or Verlander, although I think both would would be fine taking their $80 million from the Mets and calling it a career. Uh, I'm just, I'm a little more concerned 
that the selling that <clears throat> that the Mets will do will potentially include someone like a Pete Alonso who has uh, immense value on the trade market potentially, but is also potentially the cornerstone of the Mets franchise for years to come. And I, I don't know if I want to see him go as much as I'm seeing a lot of Mets fans on Twitter sort of resign themselves to the idea that trading Pete Alonso might be a good idea. Trading Pete Alonso is a good idea if you are basically, if the Mets are basically saying, well, we're not competing at all in the next however many years, two, three, four years, whatever. Because you trade him, you're essentially going to lose him, right? Like, you could pull a, a Yankees or Oldis Chapman, but he's not a free agent until next offseason. So you trade him this, you know, trade deadline, and then whatever team trades for him signs him to a long-term extension. You don't get the chance to do that at that point. It, it's – I don't see them doing it just because – I get the sense that this trade deadline is going to be less of a hard rebuild and more of a looking to this offseason as a retooling. Um, because if you're going to trade Pete Alonso, at that point, anyone who isn't on a eight-plus year contract, anyone who isn't nailed down, you're going to send away because there's you're not going to compete anytime soon. You're basically throwing up the white flag. You're also throwing up the white flag on the possibility of getting Shohei Otani, which is a name that, you know, the Mets are one of three teams that keep coming up talking about Shohei Otani consistently. I don't see them trading Pete Alonso. I think if they trade Pete Alonso, it's going to have a devastating, I think it's also going to have a devastating effect on the fan base. Like you said, peop there's there's a few people who are saying, oh, well, you know, they should do it because they'll get the good prospects out of it. And yeah, that's a very clinical way of looking at it, I think. And I, there's nothing wrong with that, with with having a clinical way of, of approaching baseball. There's teams that do that very successfully. But at the same time, you need to keep the guys like Pete Alonso simply because the fan base has already, he's been here since 2019. He's one of the longest tenured players at this point on the team. The fan base has grown so attached to him for good reason. And to trade him away is to basically kill a lot of fans interest in the team anytime soon. Because if, if in 2019, they didn't make it to the playoffs, but even at the end when it looked like, you know, you knew they weren't going to make it. You were still watching to see if Pete hit 53. And it, it reminds me a lot of David Wright in like the, you know, mid 2000s or whatever. If you traded him away at any point, yeah, the, those teams in the early 2010s sucked anyway, but you at least had the investment. You have the investment with Lindor and Nimmo, but you know, you can't, if you trade Pete Alonso, you're basically giving the middle finger to a lot of the fans. It's just bad vibes. This is the best hitter the Mets have ever developed. He certainly has a chance to go down as the greatest hitter in Mets history if he spends the rest of his career in New York. You can't do that. You, you, you can't take the, the one success story that you've had as a franchise that repeatedly fails to develop power hitters and send him away for prospects that have no guarantee of success. As you like to say all the time, like you could trade Pete Alonso for anything. You could maybe even get Pete Alonso in return. And I think that's what makes it the, the wrong decision. I, I understand fans feeling down about this season and wanting to hard reset for next season, especially understanding that a hard reset with, the deep pocketbooks of the New York Mets doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as a hard reset for any other franchise, but there still is a lot of talent on this team that is going to be on this team for a very long time. Edwin Diaz comes back next year. Jeff McNeil might come back into form. Francisco Lindor is still an all-star caliber shortstop. The, the core of this team is still very, very good. And with the number of playoff spots available, they can compete next year with just a couple additions and minor tweaks, but uh, yeah, there's a uh, there's just this palpable sense of dread, and, and I, I I don't want fans to latch on to the last option just because like the season's over. Yeah, I mean, there's there's hope. There's gonna be. I mean, like you said, and and not to segue away from this, but I am getting a little sad thinking about them trading Pete Alonso. Lindor's an all-star caliber shortstop. He made it to the final two of that voting, which means he pretty like he's got a really good shot at being the backup shortstop to 
literally Orlando Arcia, which is insane to me. Um, I know he's doing very well this year. It's just baffling to me that, like, just to put those pieces together in my mind. They, Pete, Lindor, Nimmo, these guys are, even though the team doing bad this year, they're still showing that they're, even in this deeply weird season, because I still, it's just weird. Nothing about this Mets season makes sense. And you can point, clearly it's the pitching. The pitching's the problem. But the guys on in the lineup, are having these deeply weird seasons where they're still having good years, even despite the top line numbers looking wonky. So Lindor is having a great year despite his batting average being low, which should tell you that batting average isn't everything. And Pete Alonso, he's slowed down a little bit because of the the injury. Um, he still has 20-plus home runs in the first half of the year. Uh, Brandon Nimmo looks great he's so he's it's so much fun watching Brandon Nimmo play center field these guys are still good and at, probably at least one or two of those guys that I just listed are going to be all-stars maybe all three who knows it, there's you can't give up everything just because of one bad season especially when we've seen what these guys can do in a good season I think it's going to be real tough for Brandon Nimmo specifically to make the all-star team I think if there was a designation for center field, there's a chance that Nimmo could make it. The trouble is there's so many good corner outfielders in the National League playing right now that Brandon Nimmo is very clearly in that second or third tier of outfielder. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's still a very valuable player. Brandon Nimmo may end up the most valuable player on the Mets this year. Um, but that doesn't necessarily merit the all-star status. I think you're right about Lindor. What Lindor also has over a Dansby Swanson, over an Orlando Arcia, is those very sexy counting stats. He's hit a lot of home runs. He has a lot of RBI. And for the typical all-star voter, that kind of matters. I don't know how much all-star voters are really looking at anything besides their own team preference, to be perfectly honest. But... <laughs> Francisco Lindor has been very clearly one of the two or three best shortstops in the National League. Will he start? Does he deserve to start? Probably not. But he's going to be an all-star, and the Mets have to have an all-star anyway because I think every team has to have a representative regardless of their status. So, yeah, that's going to be real fun seeing Lindor in the all-star game. But as you mentioned, the Mets are not going to send a pitcher. Uh, there, there is no pitcher on the relief uh, staff, on the starting staff, that deserves to make the all-star team. You don't think Robertson makes it? I think that it's it's so tough because relievers who aren't closers typically don't make it. Like you have to have an incredibly stellar year like Aaron Loop, for example, to, to make it. Um, and I think if Robertson makes the all-star game, it's because a lot of other relievers dropped out or teams don't want to send their relievers. And why not send a David Robertson uh, if, if you're the Mets or whichever team he ends up landing on if he gets traded <laughs> in the next you know three or four days? Um, I think if any pitcher, it is Robertson, but because he doesn't have those like sexy closer stats, uh, I, I think it's going to be real tough. I mean, it's not his fault that Buck just loves to sit him in the pen and never use him. It's not. And <laughs> like that's the reason why he doesn't have these stats because Buck is being weird with closing this year. I mean, I know David Robertson is great. You know David Robertson <laughs> is great, but the 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 also you also we also know that the the All Star Game pitching organization does not look like the pitching organization of a major league baseball team. It's not five starters and six relievers. And that's what it looks like. No, it's majority starters because you want to give the shine to the pitchers that have been doing the best and then three or four closers. And David Robertson just isn't one of those three or four closers. And I, I don't know how much can be done about that. Um, it doesn't take away from the fact that he's had a great season and David Robertson's old enough to know that like, this is the game. David Robertson's probably deserved to be a five, six time all-star with uh, how many great years he put with the Yankees in front of a role as Chapman, but that's, that's just not his role. And I think he's comfortable accepting that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's feel again, it's odd that like, everything is turning out the way it is and i don't know i'm just gonna enjoy lindor even just sitting on the bench for half of the all-star game because 
he deserved to be an all-star last year. I think the fact that he wasn't an all-star last year is horrific. And even though the the batting average might not be pretty, like you said, that guy has, what, 50-plus RBIs? He's on pace for 100 RBI in a season that's not his best. Th- this guy is fantastic. I, f- I feel like Mets fans don't even realize, a lot of Mets fans don't realize how good he is. And I don't know why that is. It's... it's I mean, I'm sure that I, I can figure out the reasons why people don't like Lindor uh, living in New York. But it, it's such an impressive year for him that he can still be this good while not being his best. He's on pace for 30 home runs, 100 RBIs, <laughs> and the best defense in the National League. Now, granted, the the shortstop talent in the National League has gotten significantly diluted with Corey Seager uh, moving to uh, to Texas and uh, Turner not putting up his all-star caliber numbers in Philadelphia. Um, but yeah, the, Lindor is very clearly one of the 10 best shortstops in Major League Baseball. And this is the greatest collection of shortstop talent we have ever seen. He's worth the money, folks. I, I don't know <laughs> what more there is to say. The other reason Major League Baseball is going to want Lindor on that all-star team is because they really, really want to make this red carpet show a thing. And Lindor is going to be the star of that red carpet show if it happens. Oh, yeah. That guy, so he's so cool. He's going to show up in the coolest outfit you've ever seen in your life. It's going to be great. I'm, I'm going to be genuinely happy for him that he'll finally be an all-star as a Met, too. Because, like, he came here, I feel like, the ups, the downs. He so clearly loves this team, which is, like, makes it makes me so happy when I see him, like, courtside at a basketball game. He's wearing a Met hat, and he's talking about it. And he's like, yeah, I just really love wearing a Met hat. It's my favorite thing to wear. That's, that rocks. I don't think we talk about how much this guy rocks as just, like, a representative of the organization. Like, Pete loves being a Met. Lindor loves being a Met. I love seeing players who love to be on the team they're on. That relentless positivity is something the Mets have been missing for a very long time, (laughs) right? Like someone who is a professional enough to stand up in front of reporters when things are going wrong and simply take the heat when it happens, but still find the positive, still find the silver lining in the season. The silver lining for Lindor is that he makes close to $40 million a year (laughs) playing baseball and he's really good at it. And he gets to live in New York City. Like, that's a pretty charmed life, regardless of what's happening. And I know these are super competitive folk, but like, yeah, there, there are worse ways to live. And uh, good for you, Lindor. Yeah, I mean, he's, he also seems to have like a great everything you see with him and his wife and their kids. It's just it, it's he's he seems like a genuinely good guy. And I, I know we've been burned by saying that about people in the past, but like he does genuinely just seem to be a really great guy which is something important for this team too to have have a guy like that represent the team. You know, I just I I wish Mets fans I feel like the I, I also feel like there's no way you can love him enough. In my opinion, like I feel I still get like a little bit excited when I think that he's a Met. I feel the way that I felt when I read that tweet from uh, Jeff Passan saying he was traded here, like I still get that little bit of excitement every time I see him in a Met jersey. I don't know when that's going to end. I just he's so He's he's ours. He's like our guy now. And that's so cool. We know that June was rough. And you don't have to be optimistic about Mets baseball. But in summary, the things we can look forward to in July are Francisco Lindor in the All-Star game, barring any injury luck, and a trade deadline where we see a lot of players who deserve to go to winning teams go to winning teams, hopefully, if the Mets know what they're doing. Uh, we're going to take a break and come back with, with uh, a little, little heavier stuff. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are back. We're, we're going to talk about a momentous Supreme Court decision later. But first, Grace, I wanted to talk about something that's been bubbling in my mind for the past month or so. And it's the emergence of Gulf State money in American pro sports, because this is something that fans of teams all over the world, especially in Europe, have been grappling with for the past decade. Um, and it now seems to be coming to the United States. We, we just got word last week that Cutter's Investment Authority um, agreed to purchase a 5% stake in the NBA's Washington Wizards. And this isn't the only team that a Gulf state has a significant ownership percentage of. Uh, City Football Group, which is bankrolled by the United Arab Emirates, owns 80% of NYCFC, of Major League Soccer. And uh, we've heard news in the past month of the Saudi Investment Fund's golf tour, Live Golf, essentially strong-arming their way into a purchase or a merger, we don't know quite yet what it is, of the PGA Tour. And so I guess I'd like to ask you what your impressions of Gulf State money coming to American pro sports is, especially with the understanding that we all have of the supremely restrictive lives that queer people must live in the Middle East. Yeah, it's... It doesn't feel great. Um, I, a couple, what was it? A couple weeks ago, Kathy Engelbert, uh, noted villain in my life, the commissioner of the, the W, spoke about how they were considering, she was thinking like, oh, you know, maybe we could do a game, a WNBA game in Saudi Arabia. What? The, like, the, I don't get it. And it's so depressing that like, Basically, they're able to just buy their way into not being seen, like, like having human rights violations left and right. Like, we all just ignore that because they got a bunch of money, which, let's be real, is not a new thing. But, like, it's there's a vast difference between, um, you know, bad homophobic sports owners and then also the, you know, countries where, like, you can be killed for it, like, in, like, a state-sanctioned way. Um, it, it's upsetting, but also it's one of those things like I, it's going to take a lot to stop it. And I don't think that the system we're in right now, that seems to be ruled by the almighty dollar among above literally anything else, that there's nothing that can't be solved with just throwing a shit ton of money at something, um, in a bad way. I don't see this changing, which is depressing in its own thing in its own way um it's i don't love it i think it's really easy to be cynical about how pro sports teams approach their investors and how little they care about where the money comes from if we take major league baseball as an example over the course of their history, they have made moral decisions about whose money they take. For the longest time, teams couldn't advertise alcohol. They couldn't name their stadiums after uh, beer companies. Uh, for, for the longest time, they couldn't take advertising money from tobacco companies or casinos. This is something that has always been a part of Major League Baseball specifically, but American pro sports in general, there are lines that for the longest time teams will not cross. I think the paradigm shift for me came in the past few years with gambling and not specifically with like DraftKings and FanDuel kind of like strong arming their way into legalizing sports betting in like, you know, 20 or 30 different states. The tipping point for me was when the Chicago Cubs announced 
that they were going to open a sports book right next to their stadium. And I remember looking around thinking, we're just going to be cool with this. Like the league that set the mark on no gambling whatsoever is going to allow a sports book to be run and operated by a major league baseball team right next to their stadium. I think it was at that point where I was like, Oh, like they're going to take money from anyone. And if the money is good enough, yeah, I don't know if there's much that we can do about it. They were also going to try and like the original plan was to change the structure of Fenway park to put the sports book in Fenway, which I think is, even worse that like the the compromise we reached of it being next door i think is a little bit better but yeah it's this is a league that gambling within the sport is multiple big stories of the the sports history with the with the black Sox, with pete rose um and now you're seeing i think they like nfl players are getting busted for for gambling like sports gambling and stuff like that in relation to football and it's concerning because like you said there's this they don't have to do this they you know this is a choice to behave this way um and i think baseball at least you can see that clearly you know rob manford doesn't really care um which is just you know a, a byproduct of him working solely for the owners and the owners caring at this point solely about money and if a sports book is going to put a few extra dollars in the bank for them you know what do they care what it means but yeah it's it's definitely like the the sports the sports betting one is also like we you know you watch SNY games now and in the middle of the game they're like well here are the betting odds for the runs i don't care can you Tell me something about the actual game I'm watching instead of telling me like what I could what money I could get by betting on this game. I'm not betting on this game, and I'm sure some people do. I'm sure a lot of people do. They can go get that information at the sports book they're already betting at. Like if they need that information, they've already got it at that point. It, it's just it's it's upsetting, but I don't it feels like there's nothing that can be done about it. And I don't know where the breaking point is, but I feel like it's getting pretty close. Putting it all on the owners is certainly easy for me to do. I'm happy to do that. I think there is a significant desire amongst everyone in Major League Baseball, players and owners alike, to keep the money going. And I understand that there is a sincere fear that the bottom is going to drop out because we have seen the major source of investment in local television contracts become now an unreliable source of income. Bally Sports is not going to bankroll the small market teams for much longer as the San Diego Padres have found out. Major League Baseball is not going to bail out these teams forever, certainly not in perpetuity, certainly not until they figure out a way to monetize all of the rights that they will acquire after Sinclair continues their default. And so for the longest time, Major League Baseball had the financial ability to look at casinos and say, nope, you're not going to invest in our product because that's quote unquote dirty money. And we don't want to associate with that. We don't want to associate with tobacco. We don't want to associate with alcohol, but they may not have that ability anymore because these contracts are guaranteed. Someone's going to hand Shohei Otani a 500 plus million dollar contract at some point next season. And there is no guarantee that that team is going to be able to pay that $500 million with the current economic structure. And so I can understand a team, a league sniffing around for anybody that's willing to invest multiple billions of dollars into their game. And considering how little Major League Baseball has cared about the human rights violations of the Middle East, and uh, I, I shouldn't say all the Middle East, as it relates to the Gulf states for, for our purposes, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and, and the United Arab Emirates, with how little they've, they've cared about um, domestic abuse in amongst their their players 
how much how, or how little they care about uh, LGBT rights uh, amongst their fans um, within the game themselves. Yeah, it, it's not that far of a leap to accept money from Gulf states that don't seem to care about those things either. Yeah, I mean, it's I was if they can't clean up their own house with the, the domestic violence and all the shit that goes on in there. I, you know, obviously there's a difference between that and what these countries do. But at the same time, it, it's just it feels bad. You know, like it, it's I I love the sport, but it feels bad sometimes when I consider who or what I'm rooting for. What's the tipping point for you? What's what's the point at which you can't, with a clean conscience, watch the Mets, watch Major League Baseball? Does does that tipping point exist for you? Has it moved throughout the years? Is this something that that you would consider a a hard stop on on Major League Baseball fandom? I don't know what the tipping point would be, just because like that's not how I I I. I'll be let me let me let me be real here. If if the Mets back in twenty twenty, if they had or twenty twenty one, if they had signed Trevor Bauer, that would have been the tipping point. I would have stopped watching. Didn't happen eleventh hour. But there's there's definite moments I can't conceive of what they are until like it feels like it's about to become real and then I go, Oh wow, this feels so terrible. I can't do this to myself. So that was one, you know, it's there's levels to it. Um, I mean, I don't feel great watching certain teams now. Um, there's other teams where I watch them and I go, okay, now I'm actually, like, I don't know if you saw everything the Orioles did this week with their uh, their Pride Night. That made me feel a little bit better. Um, I think it's, a, I think for me, it's like a thing of pluses and minuses. I think that, you know, if, like, if one of these big golf money, golf states, you know, countries bought a major league team in like majority stake wise i don't know how that would make me feel in the moment but it's definitely that would be something where i would start to reconsider um but yeah i don't i don't know what the tipping point is or would be for me until i'm in that moment so i don't know I think the good news for anyone who's concerned about the Saudis, uh, Qatar, United Arab Emirates investing into Major League Baseball is that I think MLB is pretty low on their list of American leagues that they would consider investing into. I I suspect they're more interested, based off of their behavior, in the more internationally renowned sports, basketball, soccer, golf, tennis, Baseball is quote unquote international a sport as it is doesn't really have much international cachet beyond American shores except for like the Yankees. And if the Yankees sell a controlling stake of their team, then there's something deeply sick about Major League Baseball. So I I think it's something that fans need to consider. And for me, it kind of sort of would be a tipping point if if a Gulf state purchased a majority stake of a major league baseball team, I would likely boycott that specific team, including if that team was the Mets. And if that team was the Mets, that that means boycotting major league baseball in its entirety, because I don't really care to support another team. That's not the Mets. And I think the cool thing about baseball is that there's worthwhile baseball outside of Major League Baseball. Like, you don't need to watch MLB and still call yourself a baseball fan. There's still worthwhile baseball in Japan and Korea. There is still worthwhile baseball at the college level, although that also presents some moral difficulties as well. There is worthwhile baseball in the minors, if that's something you want to consider something uh, independent of Major League Baseball, like to be a baseball fan does not mean you have to support Major League Baseball if you don't want to support Major League Baseball. And the Saudi Investment Fund, the uh, Cutters Investment Authority, United Arab Emirates coming in to have a controlling stake of a Major League Baseball team, yeah, that's that's a tipping point for me. And I 
that's what I'll say right now. And I reserve the right to change my mind later. I remember during the World Baseball Classic when when Edwin Diaz uh, went down and there was a whole lot of talk of MLB owners wanting to cancel the World Baseball Classic. For me, I was like, oh, that's a tipping point. I, I don't I'm not going to watch Major League Baseball if they cancel the World Baseball Classic. That's not how I feel now. Like that, that was a very emotional reaction in the moment. But I, I, I have a sincere belief that if this were to come to Major League Baseball, especially if a controlling stake was purchased in a team and doubly, especially the New York Mets, yeah, I, I don't, I don't mind quitting MLB. That's that's not something I, I would feel terribly about. Yeah, it's oh god, if the Mets got bought, that would be. I mean, Steve Cohen is already like, <laughs> he's not the world's greatest guy. Uh, you know, that, that, let, let's be real here. This guy's not, anyone who has that much money is not going to be a good person in their business practices. Um, but yeah, if, if it can't, I, if they, if, if the Mets were bought in a controlling stake by one of these Gulf states, I would, yeah, I, I would not watch anymore either. It would be, it would be too much. It's just, it's, it's already almost too much. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not gonna, it's, I don't think it's gonna get better from here. I think they're, but like you said, I think they are more focused on, um, like more international sports, like, like basketball, like soccer. Um, baseball has a bit more of an international reach and it's, it's, they're trying to grow the game, but I don't think it's at the point yet where they're really going to be looking to invest in that. Speaking of things not getting any better, uh, the, <laughs> the Supreme Court has decided that Pride Month is over and that their rule of law is coming back and now in place. And I think it's important for LGBT people to know their rights. There was a deeply unserious case that led to a very serious ruling in the Supreme Court that essentially states that people can be discriminated against for holding views that are antithetical to the values of a business owner. This came about when a online wedding uh, designer, I, I'm not entirely sure what her role was, um, put up a, a lawsuit saying that she had the right to not serve a customer who made a request for their same-sex wedding. As it turned out, this customer not only did not make that request, but is very heterosexual, but apparently that doesn't matter to, to the Supreme Court because this was a case that they wanted to take up anyway. And what they ruled is that because this quote-unquote customer had a message that was antithetical to the values of this business owner, and not necessarily because they held an identity uh, that could be discriminated against, that this business owner had the right not to serve this customer. And this opens the door to a whole lot of discrimination and discriminatory cases that could be brought up at the judicial level. And I think it's really important for people to understand, especially LGBT people, that we are still a federally protected class, and this case does not change that. We cannot legally be discriminated against for simply being who we are, but apparently we can be discriminated against for believing in rights like same-sex marriage or contraception or abortion or anything else that might be unpalatable to Christian Americans or anybody else with uh, viewpoints dissimilar to those. And I, I think it's important for people to, to know where they stand and know their rights and know that this can get worse or it can get better. Um, but yeah, uh, th things aren't looking very great right now. And, uh, and Grace, I don't know if you have anything to add. I certainly don't have any insight beyond um, knowing how I can behave in this situation, but yeah, I just want to know your thoughts. This is one of the stupidest cases I've ever seen. Like, you know, I, I like to keep up with Sir. I'm obviously this because it affects our community, but just generally, you know, I like to be up to date on current events and everything I've read about this, this case, if you want to call it that by its loosest definition is ridiculous. This was a hypothetical at first poised, posed by a woman who was an aspiring 
website designer that basically created her business and immediately was like, well, can I discriminate against people? And took this case in a hypothetical form to a federal court. And they said, this is a hypothetical. We're not, no. Also, this is stupid. What are you doing? Get out of here. The next day, she gets this email from this guy who's, oh, I want to, I want you to design a website for my gay wedding. The exact hypothetical she posed to the court is now bearing pr- true. How weird. She takes it to the court. The day of the decision, they reach out to the guy in there. And like you said, he's very heterosexual, has a wife and kids and was like, why would I want this? First, I'm not gay. Second, I'm a web designer. I could do my own website. And they ruled in favor of her, which is not terribly surprising, knowing the makeup of the court. What I'm, what what scares me about this is, I, you and I, based on where we live, will will be generally fine, just in terms of finding businesses to frequent. Should this become a widespread issue, um, you know, we both live in, you know, metropolitan areas but somewhere in the middle of the country in the south anywhere where there may be a more rural areas anywhere where there's less options this can dwindle really quick and this is the same issue that you see with the posing of this idea with um hospitals that are partnered with christian organizations or catholic organizations that um that should they be able to discriminate how many other options are there? Or do you just have to deal with the fact that, oh no, I don't have a, I don't have somewhere to get my hair cut anymore. I, I don't have a s- store to buy, you know, my essentials in. I don't have a hospital I can go to. It, it sets a scary precedent that I think here, I live on Long Island, I live right near this New York City it's not as dire for me because I can find plenty of places that would be willing to to serve me, even if I have to travel a little bit. There's trains and subways and buses and anything I get, I would need to get there. If you live somewhere where there's not a lot of options, um, even upstate New York, there's areas where there's nothing for miles. It becomes way worse really quickly. Um, and this is just a... a a reason to hate really it, it, it's the idea of using religion to justify this is bizarre to me you're because it, take away the religious aspect the, the, that's the only way that they can make this argument seem legitimate otherwise it's just oh ew i don't like gay people that's gross that literally that's what it breaks down to if we're gonna you know let's be real here it's upsetting that that the highest court like in the country can just make this decision and has the multiple bananas corrupt uh, illegitimate justices to prove it i think it's just it's a, it's shameful it's a shameful look for the country and that day had multiple decisions that were shameless lo- shameful looks for the country I think it's important for everyone, not just LGBT folk, to start to understand your rights as a citizen of your state instead of as an American, because it's going to start to look, if it hasn't already, very, very stratified. We had three really, really big Supreme Court decisions come out in the past week, and I had similar reactions to two of them, which is, well, that sucks, but not going to really affect me. One of them was the um, affirmative action in higher education. Uh, Affirmative action has been illegal in California since 1996, so that literally has zero effect uh, in this state, ironically. Um, And the decision for for companies to legally discriminate against people who hold certain message-based values. Uh, Yeah, that's not going to fly in Los Angeles. If you don't serve queer people, if you don't serve left-leaning people, you're out of business. That, that just isn't going to work. So like it, it's, it's very, very sad. And, and I do feel for people who live in States where this can now be levied against them in a discriminatory way that, people weren't able to before. And I, I, I want to reach out to those people and tell them to like, understand where you stand, where you are, like to consider yourself an American is not a very practical way 
of looking out for your safety. You need to take a look at where you stand within your state, within your municipality. If you're like me and Grace who live in New York and California, it's very likely that very little changed for you in the past week, unless you have a ton of student loans, in which case, sorry for everyone. That, that's probably the, the decision that I think affects the most people at this point, which like really sucks. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, 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 it would be funny if it wasn't so sad and it would be a lot sadder if, if I lived in a different place. And I'm very thankful that I was born in California and that I'm able to continue living in California as I do. And I, I, I sincerely hope that um, everyone else in this country can take a, a stand of like where they are. And if that state that you're in is inhospitable, like do whatever you can to get out. And I know how difficult that is with, with family and finances. That's, that's never, never an easy decision. I don't want to make that request highly, but like, yeah, if you're in Missouri, the worst state, like figure out a way to get out of Missouri, please. Yeah. It's that's, that's really the people in Missouri, the people in Florida, the people in these States that are going to jump at the chance to do this. Now that's where this is really dangerous. It, it's going to, it's gonna get it's gonna get worse before it gets better, and it's it just keeps getting worse. I don't know where the the turning point is here, but I don't think this is it. Well, speaking of turning point, I think we should take a break and come back and stop being sad, if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, and we are back. Uh, do we have anything else we want to discuss, or do we want to just jump right into my movie minute? Let's talk about your movie minute. Do you have a movie All for right. us this week? I sure do. So I was thinking about uh, it's the it's Fourth of July week, um, and I am nothing if not an unconventional celebrator of uh, our country. My favorite movie to watch for Fourth of July, I watch it every year for Fourth of July, or at least I try to, is the <laughs> the twenty sixteen Pablo Lorraine film Jackie about Jackie Kennedy. Um, I saw a tweet one time. This is why I watch the things sometimes for holidays is because I see tweets about them. But uh, truly, it does feel like a great way to sort of celebrate the country is by living through the days up to and after and recounting the trauma of Jackie Kennedy post the assassination of her husband, um, played brilliantly by Natalie Portman, who I still think should have that she was robbed. She deserved that Oscar. Such a good film. But what I love about his films, because he's done in this vein, he's done Jackie, he's done Spencer, and he's been talking about what he might do for another one, but there's nothing confirmed yet. He focuses, Pablo Lorraine focuses on the inner lives of these women that we feel like we know well. And there's always the moments in there where it's sort of them having to give themselves to the public, but it comes at a moment where you know what's going on. So there's in Jackie, they go through the scenes with um, her doing the white house tours and how she sort of has to put on this, you know, face for that, but everything going on in her personal life. It, it's, it's such an amazing film in the way that it's, quietly devastating and i will never listen to camelot again the same way after seeing this film um it's been a minute since i've watched this movie because like i said i watch it every fourth of july last time i watched it was last fourth of july i believe um 
this movie is also great because it gave us the friendship between Greta Gerwig and Natalie Portman. Greta Gerwig, my beloved, I already have my Barbie ticket. Um, she's a great actress. I don't think we talk about this enough. She is she's a great director, obviously. She is a really, really good actress, and I think we're 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 better for having her films that she's directing, but we're worse for not having her on screen as well. Um, which you know, God bless Noah Baumbach for continuing to give us movies with her in them. But it's there's not it, it's hard for me to describe this movie because it's not your typical like plot 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 movie. It's basically you're just watching Jackie Kennedy go. You're watching her go through it like that's you're just there's there's bits where like the one image I can't get out of my head she takes it's right after the assassination and you know there's sort of this whole thing where you're sort of seeing like LBJ sort of come in and be like oh yeah I'm 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 the president now I'm the president now and she's like pal my my husband just got assassinated like relax but she goes to take a shower and she's standing there and you see her back and as the water hits her head all you see is the red from the blood pouring down her back and there's just little moments like that that let you just sort of sit in that nothing you don't it doesn't cut from that you just you have to sit with that and think about it it's genuinely genuinely i think a great movie that sort of has gotten lost in the last few years and the way that so many movies come out now between streaming and, and theatrical um I think we don't talk enough about 2016 Jackie. Jackie is a movie that I have not seen, but it's a movie that <laughs> uh, my my partner has a lot of um, opinions about because her favorite actor is Natalie Portman. And so anything that Natalie Portman is in, she will watch. And I remember her talking about Jackie saying that it was a very, very well done movie that was also so viscerally difficult to watch because the violence in it is very, very front and center. Mm -hmm. It's very real. It's it's there for a reason. It's not for shock value. It's it's to accurately portray the the horrific trauma that she went through. Um, and it, it's a movie that she says that she doesn't really care to watch again because it, it was just so viscerally disturbing. And I wonder how much that still exists in Hollywood where, where violence is meant to be portrayed as something that is disturbing instead of titillating, instead of exhilarating, instead of something that we pay money to see. It's just something that's meant to shock and appall us in a way to remind us that, oh yeah, like this is horrific. Violence is awful. And this is not something that we ever need to glorify or, or we ever need to to expound upon yeah i think there's still i i think there's there's a lot of film because i think the dichotomy there is between blockbusters and like you know like just pure entertainment pieces and then films that aren't that i don't want to dismiss all blockbusters as not being like actual art pieces but a you know I'll say that about Marvel movies, all right? And we'll, we'll if we ever want to get into that on this podcast, but I don't think now's the time. But it's sort of the idea of art versus um, what Martin Scorsese referred to as like theme park rides. We don't see the violence in a lot of these blockbusters as being anything other than just like, oh, that guy got shot because we're not supposed to. But when you watch a movie like, look at something like the Irishman or any sort of, you know, Martin Scorsese, not to go back to him or Jackie or anything made by these filmmakers who are attempting to use the violence as something more than just like, Oh, sick. He shot like 26 guys. You know, that's, that's where the difference is. And she, she's right. The, the violence in Jackie is, it's front and center. There's not a ton of it just because really the main violent act is Kennedy's assassination, but it doesn't shy away from that. And I think it's better for that in, in the way that mob movies are better for, even if people misunderstand them for giving you the violence, because these are not things to, glorify these are things to be horrified by and i think that it's on the viewer to take that away i 
personally don't love watching movies where everyone gets shot to bits and nothing really matters just because that doesn't mean much to me i mean there are the few like john wick i love those movies but like i prefer it when the violence is for a reason other than just like a body count at the end also why not independence day that's a good movie i've seen independence day once it's it's good oh you don't like independence oh okay. i mean it's good i just it's not it's not my fa- i'm not a huge I'm I'm not a huge Roland Emmerich person. Those aren't my kinds of movies. Do, do you listen to the movies I recommend on this podcast? Those aren't my kind of movies. Will Smith punches an alien and says, "Welcome to Earth." That's awesome. <laughs> my my favorite Will Smith alien movie is Men in Black. That one I love. Oh yeah, no, Men in Black Two is better than Independence Day. I'm like I'm not <laughs> I, I'm not saying that like you know that's the best Will Smith movie or that's the best Alien Invasion movie, but it's fun. Bill Paxton flies a jet and the real to the hole. The it's great. real Fourth of July movie is Jaws. That one I watch every year on the Fourth of July, the night of after the fireworks. We sit down, we watch Jaws. That's the Fourth of July movie for me. I totally said Bill Paxton. I meant Bill Pullman. <laughs> Anyway, I think you catch I, it. That one's on me. Uh, I should know. <laughs> I, I think this is a good place to end. Let's end with, with some smiles and instead of what we went through in the first couple <laughs> of segments. So uh, everyone have a great 4th of July holiday and we'll be back next week.